Hello, and welcome to the Everybody Brands Podcast, where we help you build brands, shape your culture, and inspire your team. I'm Brian Soy, principal of Aspire, a design and marketing agency that helps people build thriving organizations and purpose-driven brands through strategy, design, and the story brand marketing framework. Hello, everybody. This is Brian Soy from the Aspire Marketing Agency, and we're talking today on Everybody Brands with Dennis Hahn from Liquid Agency. Dennis is the Chief Strategy Officer at Liquid and responsible for the methodology that Liquid uses to address the strategic challenges of their clients. He leads teams of strategists across all of Liquid's offices, providing expertise, mentoring, and consulting on a wide range of strategic branding initiatives for clients that include John Deere, HP, Microsoft, Motorola, NASDAQ, PayPal, and Walmart. One of the things that really interests me about Dennis's background is that he holds a bachelor's degree in graphic design from Portland State University. So Dennis, welcome to the Everybody Brand Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Brian. It's really great to be here. Yeah, so that idea that you have a bachelor's in graphic design to me says that you probably see the world a little differently than people do. Is that true? Yeah. I, well, yeah, I think um, I still rely a lot on my training as a designer, uh, and I bring that into the strategy work that me and my team do today. Um, but, you know, in terms of the way I use design is really in the idea of design thinking, and that's really this idea of framing a problem, uh, making, so creating a prototype of potential solutions, and then putting those things into the world either by testing them or, or making them real. And, and I think my design background gives me that unique opportunity in strategy to work and operate like that. Mm. Yeah, and design thinking is a very popular part of business culture now, too. Uh, do you find that the design thinking, the projects that you work on with design thinking, are those mainly dimensional products? Is it more like industrial design or can design thinking apply to anything? No, the yes, the the methodology of design thinking applies can apply to business. So you you can design a company, you can design a service or a product with with that approach. Um, so it isn't when we hear design, we, we, a lot of people think of uh, literal design, like designing like on a computer using Photoshop or something like that. Uh, but most design, big D design, is really about understanding the world through a design lens. So. You um, frame problems. You you can uh, visualize solutions uh, to a, a whole number of different business challenges, and and that's what design thinking is is really based in. So it sounds like it's more intentional. Than well, it's very intentional, yeah, because you are um, you you're hypothesizing potential solutions, but you're remaining open to the outcome until the point where you have enough evidence that that's the right path to take. And um, and I think that's what makes it unique. Um, there, there's a phrase called thinking and doing in business. And most business leaders think of something and then they just do it because, you know, we're all trained in business to make quick decisions. That's leadership, right? But when you add making in the middle, then you get thinking, making, then doing. And the making part is that creative process around visualizing potential outcomes and solutions. 
and you need empathy, you need understanding of the customer, you need you need a lot more input to really get to the right answer. And that's kind of thinking, making, and doing. Yeah, no, and that's and you're right. That's a part that I know I find with people. They want to jump right to the doing part after they've yeah. thought of it. And and so you mentioned the customer. How customer centric is is a design thinking approach? Well, traditional design thinking methodology is very customer centric. So um, empathy is is a key uh, attribute of design thinking. So putting yourself in the customer's shoes, right? Trying to look at it from their perspective. So it and 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 sadly, you know, in a lot of business, there's just not a lot of time to be customer centric. So we think we know the customer. But we're often very um, myopic in terms of our view of the world. So our view meaning the company, right? We, we see it a certain way. We think we know a customer. And, and those companies that do invest in, in uh, voice of the customer, really understanding their customer at a more deeper fundamental level are the ones that are going to have more success in, in building a strong brand. Yeah, I agree. So just thinking about that idea, I had a conversation earlier today about customer personas and the traditional customer persona is very demographic based. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you think businesses need to go deeper than traditional customer personas then in order to really align the brand with the customer? Absolutely. Um, there's two things you mentioned in there, one personas and two demographics. So I, if, you know, if you look at those two things, it, marketers are taught, to create segments, right? So specific segments in their business. And, and that can get very granular, very specific to uh, a micro audience that they're trying to reach. In branding, it's the opposite. So what you're trying to do is you have one brand for all your customers. So the goal is to find what they all have in common, not what makes them different. Uh, and at Liquid, we call that a tribe. And so the tribe is, is sort of, think of it like the ultimate persona, the Uber persona at a brand level. And, and, and the tribe is really a much more psychographic. It's, it's trying to understand uh, views, values, or interests in relation to a brand. So how do they see the brand? How, what do they think are, is valuable about it? Why are they attracted to it? What kind of behavior would they exhibit uh, if presented with different choices? So, so that's what we do to really um, understand the customer at a much deeper level. And we, we we actually designed the tribe with our with our clients using research and um, and analysis. Oh, so that's really interesting. You know, when you say design the tribe, because then you're targeting the right audience instead of saying everybody's Correct. our tribe. It's you know these these are the people like us that we want. And yes. So can you can you say that community is another word for tribe? Um, community is an element of tribe. I, I don't know if I would say they're the same, but there, there, there's definitely uh, similarities. Uh, tribes do operate in communities, so I guess, yeah, yes, I guess that would be true. But the, the difference is that, um, you know, the, the tribes really, they, they connect with each other around the same um, worldview uh, or, you know, way they see the world, right? And I think uh, communities can can be like that, but um, but tribes, you know, have a very specific set of interests, and because uh, it, it's related to a brand, right? And I think that's where people get a little disconnected from this idea, because 
you know, people will, will use the most extreme example, like Wrigley's gum. Is there a tribe for Wrigley's gum? And, you know, there might be, but, um, but not every brand has a strong tribe nor deserves it uh, or needs it. So I, I think we have to look at the world in, in a very different way when we're thinking about the tribe and its relevance to the brand uh, and, and what it stands for. Right. Sometimes so, good old-fashioned marketing works great, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah, Wrigley's, Wrigley's Spearmint Gum or, or, mm-hmm. or um, some some listeners may remember Clark's Tea Berry Gum, which may, may be an Ohio brand, I'm not sure. Um, but Maybe, that, I've never heard of it. Yeah, Clark's had this glass, they had these little glass stands where they'd put these little pyramids of gum, and you knew to look for those glass stands that were bright green with the pyramid of gum on top of the counter. So it became a, you know, it became something you look forward to, but it didn't, you're right. It didn't really make you part of a tribe. It was just, you remembered it because it was a clever marketing technique back when there were drugstores that actually put the gum on the counter. So I was reading some of your writing and, uh, and what's, what caught my eye too on your LinkedIn bio, you just had this one elegant phrase that said, you believe that the most authentic and durable brands are built upon a shared set of beliefs between organizations and their customers. So is that, is that aligned with your thinking about tribes and, and and what do you, what exactly do you mean by that? Because I think that's really interesting. And I think that's a key so many organizations and businesses need to understand. Before we continue, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever imagined trying to read a label from the inside of a bottle? It doesn't sound easy, does it? Now imagine trying to do that with your business. Do you ever wonder if people on the outside of your company think your brand is clear and focused? If so, I want to tell you about the Clarity Credo, 12 strategies that can help you align your brand with your business around powerful principles that will inspire your team and transform your culture. The principles of the Clarity Credo will help you build a brand that people love through purpose, character, culture, and voice. The 12 strategies and a year's worth of free business insights can be yours when you sign up for the Clarity Credo at claritycredo.com. That's claritycredo.com. Right, because authentic, authenticity is thrown around a lot. People want to be authentic, um, of course, but uh, getting to true authenticity is, is challenging. Um, especially if you're a business and a brand. But the way I think of it is that authenticity is the congruence between what you say and what you do, most simply put, meaning your actions should support your words. Um, Sounds simple, but when you're a business, that can get pretty complicated. So you have a lot of people trying to put messages in the market. You have to show up a certain way with your products, your services, or how customers interact with you. And all that stuff has to line up. And in my opinion, perspective, authentic brands have a very clear point of view and established belief system, meaning the values, its purpose, and things like that. And when those beliefs are shared between a company, its employees, and its customers, then I like to say a circuit of authenticity is completed, creating what we call a brand culture. So that's that's the ultimate outcome 
of this alignment. All right. Yeah, and I understand that uh, sometimes the way I look at that is character and behavior working together as the brand in action, you know, con and connects with customers through the culture. Um, yes. So that idea of shared beliefs, um, do you th do you think? Well, let me back up once again. Um, when you talk about purpose and that being a shared belief in your work with your clients, do they do you find there's a focus on purpose or or is that a given? I mean, is there a focus on let's let's really define the purpose so that we can build that into this shared set of beliefs, um, like wise. I wouldn't say it's a given. Um, I think, you know, th there's a lot of different philosophies out there. Um, you know, Simon Sinek calls it, what's your why? You know, uh, there's there's a lot of agencies talking about purpose-led brands. There's, you know, a lot of people talking about values uh, and guiding principles and things like that. And I think at the end of the day, all that stuff is relevant, but how you access it is going to be really different. And um, so I think, you know, if you just say we're about purpose, I think that can be a bit misleading. A lot of people will then immediately go to saving the whales or some altruistic space, right? Uh, and that work and that purpose works great if you're Greenpeace, but if you're um, Nike, you know, saving the whales is is not going to be relevant to that customer, that tribe, right? So I, I think you have to you do have to find the right purpose. But um, we we at Liquid actually like to think of the purpose as really for the employee. It's why they work there beyond making money, uh, and that purpose should connect into the brand and what the brand stands for at some level. But a purpose is really, in our opinion, designed to motivate and inspire employees so they know what they're doing every day. And if they they know what they're doing, they know how to deliver on the brand's promise, then they're going to be able to make that connection. Uh, so we feel like it's it's an ecosystem of different tenants or components that all kind of work together like an engine to kind of drive a brand forward. Hmm. No, that's a beautiful way to put it. And I, I, you most likely then have a similar perspective on the idea of mission and vision. Yes. In fact, <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that. We we recently, for a client of ours, wrote a point of view on the difference between mission, vision, purpose, aspiration, because those, those terms can get really confusing. Um, but it, it, to summarize it, you know, vision and mission are really tools designed for business stakeholders. That's what they're for. They're very useful. They're great um, if you're the board of directors or if you're, you know, you have some financial stake in the business. Having those things defined is very important. But in modern companies today, purpose is what's going to resonate more with employees than because a company's vision or mission might not necessarily fulfill the things that the employee is looking for. And, and so the, the, having these different tools at your disposal is, is very important. And, and understanding what people expect in today's world is also important. So companies need to recognize the shift and be able to be fluid in terms of addressing both of those things. Ooh. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but is that document that you wrote, is that something you're going to publish on Liquid Agency as a resource, or is that something you specifically wrote for that customer? Um, that's a great question. The way we wrote it was for a customer specifically, but it, it, the framework that we used 
could apply to anyone. So we definitely could publish that. That's a great idea. Maybe we should do that. Well, Put it out. And the, the reason I ask is uh, I have an article that I I looked at the same things. What's the difference between purpose, mission, and vision? Uh, one day I happened to Google it, and it turned out that it's the Google snippet, which made me really happy. Right. At least one article on my website is performing. And but I, I yes, yeah, I spent a lot of time digging into that, and I continue to tweak it and refine it. So I'm always interested in comparing that because there are a lot of people looking for that type of information, like the the difference between purpose and vision, the difference between purpose and mission. And so I think it's really valuable when, especially with someone with your perspective and expertise, weighs in on that conversation. And um, you know, Simon Sinek's work and um, other writers have done a phenomenal job of it, but it can be so confusing for customers um, and for any business who says, oh, you know, we need a new mission statement because we want to share that with our customers. It's like, no, 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 no. That's internal. Yeah, exactly. Customers don't care about your mission as a company, honestly. <laughs> right. <laughs> but with that in mind, though, you know, there are a lot of, of mission, I call them mission-driven brands, where yeah. people do want to buy the product, you know, and Tom's is always a great example, you know, buy one, give one, that model. Yeah. Yeah. So is that consistent with your perspective then on, on that being for business stakeholders? Yeah, I think, see, this is where the, the language gets confusing, right? Because mission driven did mean something back when uh, the book Good to Great was written, you know, and, and everybody understood what a mission-driven company was. And it was just what you said, right? It was that idea of, you know, the the purpose of Tom's and, and what it was setting out to do in the world. It had a, a world impact. And and that meant something. I think in today's world, that language is, is not as familiar. And I think people have lost thread with mission-driven and what it's really about. Uh, I think the new language is around purpose and and meaning and things like that. So I think, while technically correct, I think mission driven is right. Um, I think most people wouldn't recognize what that is today and confuse mission with something else. And, oh. and that's the challenge that we have with language, right? Because we're all in reinterpreting it, and um, there's shifts, culture, cultural shifts, uh, and a lot of them, these are generational even. And, and as we look through the generations, the language that gets adopted and used and what resonates with different generations is going to be different. And, and I think when you're operating a company with a multi-generational workforce and multi-generational customer base, you have to recognize those language gaps. And, and I can't think of a better way to, to tee up my next question here. Um, so we, we wanted to talk about the word branding, you know, Speaking of a word that has multiple definitions, and right. uh, so we both know branding doesn't have a widely accepted definition. And so, how do you define branding from the from your perspective or the liquid perspective? Sure. Um, well, you know, the if you look in the Oxford Dictionary, <laughs> I would say the definition for branding is definitely out out of date. Uh, it, it states that it's the promotion of a particular product or company by means of advertising and distinctive design. Uh, so the words that get me there is promotion, uh, for one, mm -hmm. um, and then advertising and design. So I, I feel like those are limited ways of thinking about a modern-day brand. Um, 
our definition is branding is the act of creating a shared meaning about a company product or service. And so it's really about what does the brand mean to the different stakeholders? What does it mean to an employee? What does it mean to a customer in relation to the very service or, or offerings that the brand provides? Uh, and, and I think that is what branding is about. And, and branding is, is, is a long-term thing. It's something you do all the time. Um, I, I think the, the challenge we have with branding is one of those hijacked words, and it means a lot of things, like you were saying. And, and I think there's a limited view in, in still of branding. You know, people think of it as an event, so you do it as a project, and then it's done. You know, like we rebranded the company, we're finished, we did a launch party, and okay, now we're all getting back to our day jobs, right? So it becomes this like act, uh, extracurricular activity. Um, or we see brand people think of still branding as advertising, like. Um, you know, we're going to go hire Goodby to, to create a brand. It's like, they don't create brands. They they might make them famous or popular or get build your um, awareness, but, you know, that's not the way you build a brand today. Um, or we still think, people still think that branding is the decoration on the cake, you know, the logos, the colors, the, the imagery and things like that. Um, so those are the, those are, I think, the myths that are out there. But I think if we can get, I, but we, we are seeing a lot of CMOs today having a much more deeper and nuanced understanding about brands. And now we want to see the CEO have that same understanding. Yeah. And that's, that's a um, perspective I hold too, because I think we need to continually be educating and pushing this idea up that a brand is a business asset. And in many ways it's the most valuable one because it's, you know, it's priceless. You know, you're investing in it, but um, so w- what do you tell someone who doesn't believe their their brand is a valuable business asset? Yeah, that's a great question because I, I think for the CEO to care about the brand, they need to understand that it is probably their most valuable business asset. And and this this is published research. This is I would just say, look, here, here's the report, or go 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 do some basic research on this, but. There's a great study um, by a firm called Ocean Tomo from 2015, and then the same study was later validated by MASB in 2017. And if you don't know who MASB is, for the listeners, it's the Marketing Accountability Standards Board. And their role is to bring marketers, academics, and measurement providers together to establish an accountable marketing practice to drive brand and business growth by linking marketing activities with financial outcomes. So it, it makes it very tangible and concrete ethereal branding thing to um, hard business data. And the study, at the end of the day, it says a company's value today is largely defined by its intangible assets. And this is upwards of 84% of a company's value is intangible. So in the 70s, the S&P 500, most of a company's assets were very hard assets. You know, inventory, factories, you know, um, things that were you could go literally see out on the floor, right, and, and tally. And, and then there's a thing called goodwill, which was maybe 14%. And this was that intangibleness. In today's world, that whole thing is flipped, right? Because now a company, most companies don't have those hard assets. Think of Uber, Airbnb. Think of these companies. That What do they have? Well, they have a brand. They have talent. They have, uh, uh, you know, experiences they deliver. They have all these things that, that now have to be accounted for on the balance sheet. Um, and if you and if you play that out, you know, 
19% of that 84% of intangibility is the is what MASB has determined is what the brand value is worth to a typical company today. So if your company is Airbnb and you're in the re, and the most recent valuation is $38 billion, then your brand alone is worth $7.2 billion. Actual numeric value you can attach to it. And you know, I don't think people understand or see that when they see these value company valuations. Um, you know, they're no. they're accustomed to watching Shark Tank and they're doing basically financial numbers, but um, it, right. So when when NASB does this hard study and it's quantitative data, you can't argue with that. So that's definitely well, not only that. Not only that, the, the board standards are all changing for reporting. So if you're a public company in the next year, 2020, you're going to have to have different reporting standards. And those reporting, and MASB is participating in defining a global standard for uh, measurement of intangible assets, including brand, because now it's the new, it's the new currency, right? Is all the intangibles. So if you can't account for those, then, you know, and, and, and the reason this is important is when you see acquisitions by companies, right? So you hear that, um, you know, well, we worked on Skype. We rebranded Skype when Microsoft bought them. Microsoft paid $8 billion for Skype. What they really bought was the brand value. They, the, the, the technology was, they, they, they threw it away. They ended up using Microsoft technology. Uh, if you remember uh, Link <laughs> back in the day, um, Link is what actually is the underlying engine for today's Skype, but they bought the goodness of Skype and the brand value, and we were able to leverage that into Skype for Business and a bunch of other things, which made it much more valuable to um, Microsoft. Oh, so that explains why I lost my Skype username. I want you to think about the things that stand in the way of achieving your business goals. For many leaders, it's complexity, uncertainty, and the challenge of getting their vision out of their head and onto paper so their team can thrive. The one thing I know business leaders are seeking is clarity for their brand, message, and business. I understand how frustrating it is when your business isn't growing or your marketing doesn't produce the results you expect. Instead of wasting money on marketing that doesn't work, the fastest way to grow your business is to define your focus and create a clear message about it with a story brand marketing framework. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I have some that generic Microsoft. For Microsoft. Yeah. Oh, goodness. So this, you know, this to me is just really fascinating because, um, you know, since I know you and I talked about, it, but since I got certified as a story brand guide, I've just had this tension between branding and marketing and the distinctions between them and the interplay between them and listen to a podcast within the past couple of months where the the host said, you know, if you're going to do one thing first, you know, don't worry about your branding, focus on your marketing. And I'm really, you know, still struggling with that idea because I don't know that that's the right one to begin with. So in your, you know, in your perspective, what's the, that beyond what you already talked about, that interplay between branding and marketing. And if a business owner has to choose one to pursue first, which would you recommend? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I, I don't want to say it depends on what your business goals are, but it, it, it does a little. But putting that aside, it, let me give you an analogy. If I'm building a house, then I'm going to start by designing the blueprint for what I want to create, and then I'm going to pour a foundation to build my house on. That's branding. So if defining the brand is where I'd start because if you don't know what kind of, you know, if you don't have that foundation, you don't have a vision for what the brand is, then what are you marketing, right? You're just storytelling. You're just hawking a product or something. So I feel like I would start there. Um, and, and, and again, you know, a lot of companies have brands, but they don't necessarily um, are intentional about curating those brands and what they really mean. Um, and, and so I think that's where marketing can sometimes be a crutch. Just to, hey, let's just boost, let's pump awareness, let's 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 you know shift the market a little bit with our numbers. But I think if you and, and companies that approach Liquid, they're the ones that are like, we don't know what our story is, we don't know what we stand for, uh, or our business is pivoting, and we we need to figure out what this means to us uh, to make our marketing actually pay off. Right, and so you're you're effectively at that point then linking branding and narrative storytelling versus distinctly marketing. Right. Where you know the the way I look at it is you know, marketing is are these distinct things that you do and they have a they have a start and a stop, whereas a, a narrative of a of a business or a brand is something that weaves together all the activities, so there is continuity, there is consistency. Well, you brought this. You brought the point about weaving everything together, and that got me thinking about that's really what branding is, right? It, it, it's it's a, it's it's really a, something that the enterprise all contributes to branding. It's not just what the marketing department does, and I think that's that's a myth. Another myth that's out there, right? That marketing and and branding are are inextricably linked, and they're really not. Uh, actually, we've measured this uh, with with an external partner and marketing at best contributes to maybe 20% of a brand's equity or value. So then you're like, whoa, like, okay, 80% of the brand's value is coming from somewhere else. Where's who's providing that? And that's through all the other parts of the business, right? That's, that's again, that's your talent. That's your, your product or service. That's your support. That's the, the, the people interactions. It, it's all these other things in your IT and your patents. And that's what all, all adds up to what a brand value is and what a brand means. So, you have to if think of it like that, and then then it contextualizes marketing, right? Then marketing ha does have a role to play, but it's to increase awareness and help with storytelling, right? It helps get the message out there, and um, and I think that's how these two things can fit together. But they shouldn't be um, seen as the same, right? And e even the idea of thinking of in a business context, marketing being a function of all the departments within an organization, whether it's a publicly held company or a, a small business versus a role that someone holds and just does. So there's marketing aspects to sales. There's, you know, on that side, but at the same time, everybody, and that's why, and that's why I continue to, to explore around this idea that everybody brands because everybody is responsible for the brand. They are, you know, responsible for customer interaction, their customer for maintaining the values, um, you know, anything internally to support the culture, but also externally to make sure that behavior 
uh, aligns with customer experience and the shared values. Right. Yeah, I think you're spot on with the, the, the title of the podcast, Everybody Brands, and that's true. I mean, the whole organization is contributing to it. And, and that's where education comes in again. You, you mentioned that earlier. Um, and I think culture, workplace culture, has to be able to be in support of a brand. If it doesn't understand what the brand's about, its role in delivering the brand experience and the, uh, paying off on the promise, then that's then nobody's going to get it. They're not going to understand that decisions that the company makes and actions that the company has actually do impact the brand. You know, look at look at brands like United, right? Where they've you know drug off passengers because of policy, and and maybe that was the policy, but as a brand, that that, that had a huge impairment to their brand. It had a huge negative impact, right? And that's <laughs> what I was talking about at the very beginning between what you say and what you do have to line up. Those aren't the friendly skies when you're dragging off a screen about. <laughs> no, they're not. Or when, or when a flight attendant is a little grumpy during the flight. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, and this is really interesting because when you think about the idea that the the flight experience is either the beginning or the end for many people of their vacation. Right. And, and how that either sets the tone for what's coming, you know, when they arrive. Or sets the tone for the last thing they remember after maybe it's a great two-week trip to Maui, and they have a horrible flight back. You know, all of that's part of of the story that people are telling themselves about that brand. Like, where you been? I was on Hawaii. I had a great vacation, but my flight back. And you know, that's the story they end up telling people. Yeah, and the story is important. But the experience is even more important. We talked about experience a couple times, just barely touched on it, right? But when you think about the experience you have, if it's good or bad, right, it, you're going to remember it and uh, and you're going to talk about it. And that does where it contributes to storytelling. But it, in uh, storytelling, in the absence of that experience, it's just a story, right? I, I don't have any connection with it. You know, and, and this was really, um, it was really a light bulb moment for me personally. We, I worked on Nordstrom several years ago in helping to clarify their brand. You know, they have a, a world-class brand. And what I learned from working with them uh, was that their customers see it, they, they define the brand by the experiences that they've had with that company. And, and that, so the, the ideas of service and, and personal style and, and things like that are, are very important to this brand. And when you put the Nordstrom name on another company, which they, because they were acquiring companies and they didn't know how to, manage that relationship people thought it was Nordstrom they expected when they bought Hotlook a flash you know uh, flash site uh, for fashion online people thought oh it's by Nordstrom so I can return return things and they're like and, and flash sales are usually all sales final right like we're trying to get rid of stuff and um, and Nordstrom would take the things back even though their policy said they wouldn't because that's the Nordstrom way. That's just what you do. And people would go into Nordstrom Rack or Nordstrom full line stores and, and return products. And, and, and that's part of the experience and the expectation people have with the brand. And that's the power of, of, of a brand name mm -hmm. and what it means. I think it also speaks to the the power the customer has now in helping, as, as you mentioned earlier, in defining the brand um, and because their expectations Sometimes force the 
the business and brand to adapt and change. Yes. Yes. And we're more than ever in a customer driven society, right? The customer is in the driver's seat. You know, CX is, is really where customers are investing. Uh, and, 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 uh, and I mean, clients and businesses are investing there because they realize it's so important. And, and, you know, it's this whole modernization and consumerization of our world that they want to see it everywhere. And they want to be able to do it on their terms, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and if a brand sets an expectation that's going to deliver a certain way, they have to, they have to stay with it. And they have to, they can't change that. Once they change that, people scream. They throw a fit, right? Like what my right. brand's doing. You can't do that. <laughs> right. Well, and then they, they carry that expectation with them to other brands. You know, so, yeah. Um, you know, we're, we help a company sell books on Amazon. And then we also have a, a website set up for the company where they're selling the same books. And the customers will stop at the shopping cart when they see the shipping price in which we've lowered to as low as we can without actually losing money. Uh, and, but when they buy it on Amazon, there's never a second thought because Amazon has created this perception that shipping is free. And right. the secret is you're paying for the shipping because Amazon's taking a significant portion of the revenue of, you know, anything that's sold on Amazon and, um, just as fees. So it, there's really no such thing as free shipping, but now everybody expects that shipping's free. Yeah. And that's a great comment about table stakes. So when you think about brands and you think about brand drivers, things that are uh, unique to a brand and then things that are just table stakes, right? Free shipping is now, is now table stakes, right? People just expect that. Um, and so when you see companies, e-com companies try and differentiate on you know, we're going to have this kind of a shipping policy or we're going to have this kind of a return policy or discounting policy. They can't differentiate on those things because those are all expected. So that, that's just the, the, the point of entry to play. So then you have to understand, well, what makes us truly unique and different? And you and getting to that is is a lot harder. So when we do our tribe work um, and we, we do a lot of concept testing on brands. So when we develop a brand, a new brand concept or a position idea, we actually go back and test that with our tribe once we've defined it. And, and we'll often run a conjoint analysis where we'll look at first the concept, you know, on its own merits, and then we'll look at the table stakes. And then we'll run a conjoint to apply which types of table stakes match up with what concepts, right? Because customers still expect those table stakes to be there, but that's not what's going to be a differentiating idea. Mm -hmm. So do those Differentiating ideas sometimes become, and this may be just a subtle nuance, distinctives then versus a differentiator. Like this is, you know, in terms of the idea of onlyness, this being a distinctive, this is yeah. the only thing this brand does. You know, onlyness, um, I think there's a big difference between onlyness and, and differentiation. I, I think onlyness is you're the only that does in your category that does this, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a place for that. Um, we obviously we use onlyness as, as a tool in our toolbox to, to define brands, but what we're really looking for is differentiation and in resonance to what the tribe cares about. So it's really what's the connection to the tribe? Is is this does and does the brand have permission to do this? Permission's a big thing because a lot of brands have permission to go into new areas, right, and expand and, and do things. 
because of what the tribe or the customers think about them versus some brands don't have permission to go certain places. So I think when you start to understand brand drivers and permission, then I think you can start to understand a brand concept that could be both differentiating yet resonant, uh, competitively differentiating, but resonant with that tribe. And once you Mm -hmm. kind of can get to that, then you've got something pretty powerful. Right. And that, that whole idea of it resonating means it's, it's really tapping into, again, the shared values and it's tapping into meaning yeah. and what's actually meaningful to the customer so that they really Correct. care about it. Yeah. Wow. So I have learned so much today. So uh, this has been a fabulous conversation. Um, and I want to thank you for your time. Uh, how can our listeners learn more about you and learn about uh, liquid and the, the the approach that liquid takes to to branding yeah i I would say um, probably the best way is uh, at liquidagency.com just come to our website uh, there's a lot of content up there there's a lot of uh, art blog articles we've written uh, and published um, so I, I would say that's a, a good place to start um, we're definitely working on expanding our thought leadership and spreading that. So you'll probably see more articles from us, more published tools and things like that. Um, because the stuff we kind of take for granted every day, I think when we when I, so I talk to my peers and, and others, they are pretty interested in kind of what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, and so we're very much, we're very happy to talk about that and share it. Great. Yeah. And I know, I, I know I benefit from it. I you know, read your writing and I read the, approach that liquid takes you know if if anybody is really interested in branding i do think you really need to be a student of how the best of the best are doing it and i certainly think your approach and liquid's approach is one of the top that i've ever seen so and it's deeply i know influenced me and my thinking so i appreciate that Um, but we also learn from our clients and i think i i want to credit them too because they do challenge us every day and we we do it does influence how we do think of things over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't it isn't it kind of odd when a client asks you a question and you have to just pause because it's such a great question that you're not sure how to answer it? Right. Yeah. It is. It is uh, always a, it's a good challenge to have. I'd say. Right. All right. Well, thanks for your time. And uh, again, if you're interested in learning more about liquid agency and their approach and reading some of Dennis's writing. You can find that at liquidagency.com. And of course he's on LinkedIn and that's Dennis H A H N chief strategy officer from liquid agency. Great. Thank you so much, Brian. Appreciated uh, chatting with you today. And me too, Dennis. Thanks so much. Since I became a StoryBrand certified guide, I've helped dozens of leaders unify sales teams and grow their business with clear messaging that helps customers understand why they should engage, donate, and buy. StoryBrand is a proven model that helps teams and leaders communicate with clarity, connect with customers, and grow their sales. It's a sure way to get everyone on your team to speak in one voice with a clear and consistent message. So if you need help defining your focus and creating a clear message so your marketing starts to produce, contact Aspire at aspire.com slash storybrand. That's A-E-S 
S-T-O-R-Y-B-R-A-N-D-P-I-R-E dot com slash story brand so you can stop wasting money, find the clarity you need, and start growing your sales. Thanks for listening to the Everybody Brands podcast from Brian Soy. You can find more content like this at aspire.com and in the forthcoming book, Everybody Brands, How Storytelling Helps Companies and Customers Build Brands That People Love. In the meantime, look for books by Brian Soy on Amazon.com and discover resources to help you build powerful brands that inspire and engage at aspire.com slash resources. That's A-E-S-P-I-R-E dot com slash resources. Music from this episode is the track Wrong by Dan Hennig, found on youtube.com slash audio library slash music.